Welcome to One Hour in the Past, a podcast series presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre, and hosted by me, Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator, and Kathleen Powell, Curator and Supervisor of Historical Services. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honour the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. As museum professionals, our jobs are many-fold. Managers, curators, interpreters, researchers, and much, much more. We found ourselves pining for some interesting and perhaps wild history in our daily work. Have you ever noticed that a simple search for information can lead you in a strange and wonderful direction? As in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, historical research can lead you down a winding rabbit hole that might take you off your original path and lead you to a new and amazing historical place. This podcast begins with that premise. Each of us has just one hour to research a topic. We research separately and then come back together to discuss where one hour in the past has taken us. On today's episode, Kathleen talked with Phil Christie, Director of Community Recreation and Cultural Services here at the City of St. Catharines. They had a great conversation about the history of photography. The world has changed since our last podcast episode, but luckily modern technology allows us to create these deep dive style podcasts. The sound may be a bit different since Phil and Kathleen recorded this episode over the phone. Thanks so much to Phil for taking the time to research and to chat with Kathleen. Before we jump into the episode, I'll give you a definition of photography. Photography is defined as the art or process of taking and processing photos. I can't wait to hear where one hour in the past led Kathleen and Phil. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to One Hour in the Past. Today I have with me Phil Christie, who is the Director of Community Recreation and Culture Services for the City of St. Catharines. Welcome, Phil. Thank you, Kathleen. Thanks for inviting me to do this. Uh, As our listeners can probably tell, you and I are not in the same room. We are social distancing. Uh, So Phil is on the phone and I am in my office. But... uh, I think we're going to have a great conversation, and today we are talking about photography. So, Phil, why don't you uh, uh, give us a little bit about uh, your background and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll start on our topic. Sure. Um, So, as Kathleen said, I'm the Director of Community Recreation and Culture here for the City of St. Catharines. Um, I've been working for the city for seven years now. Uh, Hard to believe that seven years have gone by (laughs) since I started here. before that, I, uh, I worked in the, the GTA. I worked for a major charity in the GTA and uh, been around recreation and community, community development, uh, philanthropy, uh, and now um, exposed and happy to be exposed to culture and uh, historical, historical services. So kind of been around, uh, if you want to say that, but um, in, in my career, 
of almost, uh, well, it's 30 plus years really in the recreation industry. Um, I've seen lots of uh, gadgets and tools and, and, and things like that. And during my research, what I found myself going back to over, over the years of my career was that, you know what, either we wished we had more pictures or darn, we took a lot of pictures. Um, so I've been involved in a lot of events and a lot of different initiatives. Um, so yeah, so that's, that was, uh, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Uh, so as our listeners who are regular listeners would know, we usually start our uh, podcast with, uh, tell us a little bit about what your research took you on, because as you know, uh, doing research on any topic, it doesn't have to be a historical topic, but any topic takes you in some weird and strange directions. And so tell me a little bit about where you started and where you ended up. Sure. So what I did was um, when I started this research, I thought, okay, well, where am I going to find the information? Obviously, the quickest and the easiest way to do that these days is online. So I just Googled the word photography and and. <laughs> You know, I wanted to see where that would take me, and sure enough, it took me on a journey. Um, Google's the best. It is the best. Um, <laughs> Google is your friend. And, um, you know, started with, you know, what does the word mean? It's Greek origins, uh, Ooh, awesome. you know, in terms of, uh, and then it moved on to the, the, the science behind it and the kind of chemicals that they used, the kind of equipment that they used. And then I got to admit, and like you just said, I went a little scattered or a lot scattered <laughs> after that because I started going on going off on different tangents and I was aware that I only had an hour. Yeah. So I had to catch myself several times and I had to, you know, I could have spent I think the majority of that time looking at one thing, but I wanted to learn more. This was actually a very uh a, it was a very good experience, you know, being cooped up at home and working from home and you know, working through the weekend. It was it was a nice break to be able to do something else. Um, and so I started, like I said, with the definition of the word, and, and it's the history behind the, uh, the hardware and the science. But I will tell you, and, and hopefully we, we have a chance to talk about everything else in between, where I ended was I, I came to the realization that our appetite for visual stimulation it's really insatiable. Like we, we can't get enough of this stuff, and it's all thanks to photography. Yeah. Really, it's very so. true. Um, that's awesome. You're right. Everything ends up on this weird path, which is why we started this podcast in the first place. Because it's so interesting what kind of tangents you end up with uh, when you're doing a search on any particular topic, um, and we really wanted to explore that as part of a podcast because it's so much fun. I started in a similar uh, vein as far as searching goes. Usually I start searching with a book on the, the City of St. Catherine's history book, but I actually looked in there and there was no uh, references to photography in the index. So I decided the internet was my friend today <laughs> and uh, started my research on the internet as well. And I actually Googled the history of photography in Canada. <laughs> So I started a little bit with chemistry, and I have to admit that I actually did not understand almost any of the chemistry. <laughs> Me neither. And I think that's why I moved on pretty quickly from that topic. Yeah. And then uh, where I ended up was virtual reality. 
cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I was super excited. And hopefully when we get to the end of where I ended up, we'll get to uh, to hear one of the coolest connections that I made between old day photography and modern visual learning or visual tech. Um, That's awesome. Because I came across this cool fact that uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Uh, so anyway, that's where I, I ended up. But uh, for the most part, my research took me on a fairly linear way through the history of photography in Canada. Uh, but I did go off on a little bit of a tangent closer to the end uh, of my uh, research and started looking at stereoscopes. So we'll talk about huh. those as well. Uh, but let's go back and let's hear about what you uh, what you learned. Let's start with the definition. What did you find out from the Greeks? So the word photography is based on two Greek words, one, the first one be, uh, being photos, meaning light, and uh, the second one being, I'm, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but <laughs> graphe, meaning drawing or lighting. So you put the two words together, and it means drawing with light. Yeah, so I, I started into that and wanted to know, okay, well, how far back are we talking about here, right? And so there were some entries um, on... on um, Google and um, of all other places, Wikipedia and yeah. dating as, as far back as the 1700s where images were projected through little pinholes yeah. and, and things like that. And then in, in the early 1800s, 1820s. Did you ever make a pinhole camera? You worked in a lot of uh, uh, summer camp kind yeah. of atmospheres. Did you guys ever do that? Uh, you know what? I remember it being an activity, but I don't think I got mine to work. <laughs> <laughs> They're crazy to get to work. They're really yeah, difficult. It's not easy. No. Not easy. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, when you when you look back at what they had to do to take a picture way back in the day when this thing was emerging. Yeah. I mean, it took at least 8 hours of exposure or even several days to capture an image. You know, when you when you think about, you know, the instant gratification today <laughs> and where 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 we all where this whole thing started of eight hours of exposure. I mean, talk about night and day, literally. You know, it's just amazing how much we've moved forward, right? And so, even further back from the 1700s, you know, the the an example was given that the Shroud of Turin was actually perhaps a uh, uh, an early, a very very early example of um, accidental photography. Oh yeah, I've, I've read right. that. You're right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So and that has been carbon dated back to you know the late 1200s and uh, maybe into the 1300s, right? And so some somewhere within that century. So you know, and when you think about that and and the images that have been reproduced from there and the way that they actually got. Uh, a negative image from the cloth and, you know, the image that it actually produced, it's quite fascinating. You know, you think about the chemicals that you and I had no interest in learning about, but we don't know what kind of chemicals were used to to wrap that body with and yeah. all those kinds of things, right? So that, to me, was fascinating, but that's where I got a little scattered. That's when it started. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, like the thing that struck me about these early forays into taking photos was the genius that you would have to have to think about um, the idea of how light impacts a certain chemical to create an image. So those early photos that are on like the metal plates, yeah. on, like a little copper plate, is right. all about how photosensitive silver is to light. Right. And to me, the fact that you 
I would never be sitting down at my table and thinking, hey, you know, I wonder how photosensitive silver is. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to have an image on a piece of metal or a piece of paper? <laughs> like, to have that kind of thought makes me have so much uh, more, well, I've always had great respect for inventors, but this just is one more example of how amazing people who have invented these kinds of technologies are. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read that, you know, about uh, images on metal and other materials, first thing I thought of was the last time I, I had an x-ray done. And, you know, they put those, you know, like, you know, the technician comes in and they take out this big thing yeah. and, and, and a metal, I don't know what's in it. They, you know, they, they hit you with some sort of a radioactive <laughs> burst and yeah. your, the picture of the inside of your body appears on this thing, right? So it's really, I mean, it's probably similar to what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So yeah, so that's that's where it took me, and then I started thinking about the kinds of cameras that I've ever used, and where it all started, <laughs> and how heavy they were. Uh, you know, I remember my my parents. Uh, you know, the first camera that our family had was uh, an old Minolta that had all these dials and you know things on it that I'm sure my father had no clue how to use. Like a 35 millimeter. Yeah, it was a 35 mil, and the only thing he ever touched was the focus. And the shutter, <laughs> right? And I would ask, "What are these numbers for?" Ah, oh, don't worry about it, right? <laughs> and it weighed like twenty pounds. Yeah, it weighed. It weighed. It was, a, and it was wrapped in some sort of a leather type of a pouch. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, uh, that you know that wrapped around your neck, and uh, it was heavy. Um, and you know, and back then, you, you know, flashes were not built into the camera, and lenses were not interchangeable, and, and things like that. So. So from there, I, you know, I, I kind of thought, okay, well, when did I get my, my first, my own camera, right? Oh, yeah. You know, so, and I don't know about you, but really, I, <laughs> I started investing in a little bit more better cameras when we had kids. Oh, right, yes. You know, so my kids are uh, four years apart, but we know we have more pictures of our older <laughs> child than we do of our younger <laughs> child. <laughs> um and uh, we certainly didn't. So my first child was born in the late 90s, um, and although digital cameras were out, we didn't have one until she was a couple of years old. Oh, right, okay. Right, so we still had, um, you know, old-style old pictures of her. There's hard copies of it, right? So you were going to Shopper's Drug Mart with your film and getting it taped, yeah. waiting to see if it worked or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember having a... Uh, a 110 camera when I was a teenager. A 110? Do you remember that? It was yeah. like a long, skinny camera, yeah. and the film was long and skinny. Yep. Um, Is that the one with the burst flashes that you put on top? Well, some like of them did pieces? have that. Mine didn't, but some of them did have that. Yeah. But it took terrible pictures. Well, it did. Because that was a focused lens, right? Like a single... Yeah. Yeah, you, you couldn't could, adjust anything, you know, really. If you wanted to focus, you'd either have to move in or... Yeah. So I have some really bad pictures from when I was a teenager. And I also have, I remember going to uh, take it to get it developed at the drugstore. I'm from Port Colborne, so the drugstore in Port Colborne. And half of the film didn't turn out. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. a terrible photographer then. <laughs> well, and, and I remember having, uh, I think, what were they called? Photomats? Like standalone film developing kiosks or little stores yes yeah yeah where you could drop off your film right yeah. you drove um, through even yeah and yeah, yeah. i remember buying uh packages of film at costco 
Yeah. Right. You can get like five rolls for uh, I don't know I don't remember how much, but you know you use them up and you turn them in and you pay for the film, pay for the processing <laughs> and the printing, and then there you go. Right. Go and if you want doubles, you'd have to pay double. Right. Like so. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so the technology has for sure uh, come a long way. Yeah, so I, I spent quite a bit of time on that because then I started thinking about the kinds of cameras that I did get after that, right? And yeah. so, you know, continued to invest on that kind of stuff. And then I, I realized that the best camera we had in the house <laughs> was probably in my hand as I was typing notes yeah. into my iPhone. Yeah, I have to tell you, I went to uh, to Switzerland in the fall on a vacation, and I took my digital uh, DSLR, yep. took photos with that. I'm not a very good photographer, obviously, um, but also took photos on my phone, and the photos on my phone were much, much better than the yeah. photos I took yeah. on my digital SLR. The phone with the camera, is it a phone with a camera or a camera with a phone, right? Like, it, it you know Who what knows I mean? anymore? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, we were buying phones that happened to have cameras. Yeah. Now, I think it's the other way around. I think some people pick their, right. their smartphone right. based on what kind of camera it has. Yeah. The, the cool thing for me, though, is that because I was able to, to invest on a camera with replaceable lenses and and things like that, and I did buy a few lenses. Um, my kids have been able to use it, experiment with photography, and, you know, as part of their curriculum at school. That's awesome. Yeah, and take videos with it and, and, and things like that. So, um, and, you know, I mean, the camera is probably, I don't know, close to 10 years old, so it's obsolete, but it still works well for us, so there's no reason to buy a new one right now. It's, it, it's you know, it's a, it's a high-megapixel camera, so it'll be... We'll be using it, I think, until the battery stops charging. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll be we'll be using that for a little bit. So from there, I thought of. You ever wonder why in old pictures nobody's smiling? Oh yeah. Well, I did wonder that way back in the day, but I know why now. <laughs> yeah. See, and I and I thought, okay, like, is it just me, or do do the people not just not smile during those? during those times when they were being photographed, right? And, yeah. you know, I thought, well, if you had to keep your smile for eight hours while the camera was working, I guess yeah. that would be physically impossible. But I guess, I, I don't know if this is what you found, that way back in the day, it was culturally inappropriate for portraiture f uh, uh, for you to smile while you have your picture taken. Is that what you found? Well, I know that it is difficult to keep a smile for any length of time. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> there's part of it is that, I think. Um, or bad teeth, right? Yeah, but the other part is, yeah, it's like this is a serious thing to have your photo taken. You're spending a lot of money on it. You want don't want to look like a goof, and so yeah, uh, you want to make sure that you look uh, pre presentable and you know that this is a serious thing. And 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 so it wasn't until the early 1900s where you know a smaller version of a camera, which was accessible and affordable to others, to most people or to many people anyway. Uh, was made available, and then people started taking pictures of candid. It was just people just started taking candid shots. The so they were capturing smiles and and other, yeah. you know. Um, I have come across uh, in research for other things. Come across uh, groups of photos that were odd because the people in them were all smiling. 
Mm. And they do almost look a little disconcerting from a, like when you look at a Victorian photo. I've seen a couple of the Victorian photos that are like a husband and wife and they both have like really natural looks, smiling, happy that they're just married, yeah. that kind of thing. And it almost disconcerts you because you're like, wow, this isn't what a Victorian image should look like. Right. <laughs> they were happy? Yeah. What do you mean those Victorians were happy? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. You're right. So then I then I went on to all these, you know, when you when you think about what what the world is like today, the new emerging trends out of this new technology, specifically the things that have been invented since the evolution of photography, right? So <laughs> selfie is now a word, yep. right? Yes, I know. So Flickr, not so popular anymore, but it still exists. Yeah. I said Flickr to somebody one day, and they were like, what are you talking yeah, exactly. about? Right? I felt so, so old, and that's not even that old, the technology. No, I know. That tells people your age if you talk about Flickr. <laughs> and even Facebook, really. Instagram, right? Yep. Snapchat. Yeah. You know, what you, have you seen people walking around with shirts that say pics or it didn't happen? No, I haven't, but that's a great shirt. <laughs> that's a thing. That's a thing, right? <clears throat> um, so it's very interesting the way... You know, we consume photography and 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 the and the the impact that it's had on us, right? Yeah. So I, I came across an article uh, by a, a writer. Her name is Nina Belk. The website is medium.com, and her article is called "Is Photography the New Conspicuous Consumption?" Ooh, that's good. Yeah. That sounds interesting. So, and I thought you'd find this interesting because the the article talks about her experience at a natural history museum. And she was just walking around, observing, yeah. and looking at the exhibits, of course. But she was interested in what people were taking pictures of and how they were taking it. Yeah, there's a whole kind of, you know, people chat about this on museum chat sites as well. The same kind of thing is, are people looking at art or are they just taking pictures of the art? Yeah, well, she, she noticed that there was a couple there and they were taking two sets of pictures. It was kind of probably kind of eerie, actually, that she was following them around. But <laughs> she noticed that one set of pictures had goofy pictures. So, you know, there was a guy putting his head inside of the mouth of a dinosaur. I don't know how he got that close to the exhibit, but <clears throat> there was, that, was that, that was that. Or the other set of pictures were, you know, ful fulfilling the other category of pics or it didn't happen. So they were selfies of themselves in front of exhibits doing things, the experience behind the museum, or while they're in the museum, right? Yeah. So people were actually taking a goofy side and a serious side, or a non-goofy side, I guess, <laughs> while they were there. And then she said that photography, and I'm quoting her, has become a reflex for us, designed to make our cultural consumption conspicuous. And she even called it the equivalent of the 90s trend of, wear of wearing heavily branded designer clothing to communicate a particular lifestyle. So I have to admit, I have, you know, yeah. there was a while there where I wasn't on Facebook <laughs> and because I just got sick of looking at people's pictures. Oh, look where I was doing, where I went and on vacation and look what I was doing. You know what? Thank you. <laughs> so really, I think I have better things to do during my day than to look at those kinds of things. But that's what people are putting out there. And so I think I need to find one of these shirts. <laughs> Picture it didn't happen. <laughs> 
It's totally true. I've taken photos of places, you know, you get a selfie of of uh, yourself someplace really cool so that people can see that you were actually there. Yeah. Uh, when in actual fact, taking the photo should tell people you were there. Exactly. Do you really need yourself in the picture? Yeah, apparently I do. <laughs> yes, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I mean, how many postcards are being sold these days? That's cool. um, So from there, I went into... Wow, you got a lot done in an hour. Yeah, but I, you know, I skim and skip, right? So, <laughs> so I, I thought of the other ways, too, that cameras are being used today. Right. So how many of us, not to sound gross or weird here, but how many of us have had a camera inserted into a joint in our body to, to, to look at damage that's been done to our body? Right. So Ooh, I never even thought about that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it was a while ago now, but I, I tore my left knee, tore ligaments in my left knee and I went in for surgery. And after surgery, the doctor actually showed me the, the ligaments that were torn inside my knee Ew, through a video. Weird. Right? So yeah. they inserted this camera inside my knee, inside my leg. They traveled it down to where the torn ACL was, and he showed it to me. And I thought, whoa, one, that's gross. Two, that's really interesting, <laughs> right? And that's how he knew what kind of surgery to perform after that, right? So arthroscopic surgery involves that. It's all in the sort of the exploratory stages of right. that surgery. And it tells them exactly where to cut and exactly what to do. So. Um, Just that, think about how small that camera is. Yeah, absolutely. It's like compared probably, to like those boxes that they used way back in seventeen, yeah, whenever to uh, to yeah. take those giant photos. I'm yeah, I'm. It's probably I don't know the size of a, the point of a pencil, or maybe yeah. a little bit bigger than that, right? Because they can't. I mean, you know, I mean, I've got the holes in my left knee to prove it, but <laughs> I mean, that was a long time ago, right? So when you have the surgery now, I'm sure the cameras are even smaller. Yeah, it's amazing. So. And then I thought of uh, how we use it here at work, and I don't know if you knew this, but the city uses cameras in our sewer system. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we can examine uh, yeah. the in, the underground infrastructure, and, and we don't have to send people down there. Yes. Think about how great that is. Yeah. Right? And so how much, how much safer the workplace is, uh, yeah. how much money we would have saved over time by doing this kind of thing. Obviously, there's an investment up front. Um, and then the last thing that I thought of, uh, the last thing that I looked into, actually, was, you know, what most, if not all of us have in our homes, and that's our TVs, right? So yeah. really, that's an extension of photography, to me, anyway. A f just a couple of years ago, 4K TVs were all the, were all the, the rage, right? Yeah. So now 8K TVs are out, <laughs> and they will be replaced with something, you know, better and skinnier and brighter, you yeah, know, it's probably be sixteen k. It's probably out there. I just don't know about it. But that you know that's going to happen soon, right? And so, it just it's amazing how we went from translation of imagery through a pinhole, reflection of imagery through a pinhole, to what we have today. Really, yeah. You know, we have cameras everywhere, yeah. traffic stops, our computers, our phone, like everywhere. We have cameras in our cars. Right, I have a I have a dash cam that points forward and backwards. Oh yeah, like it, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's everywhere. So anyway, it was a uh, quite the journey. It was very interesting. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great journey. My journey was more of a history of photography in Canada. So I'm going to be quick about it, actually. So like you said, um, photography really started in the 1700s. 1727 was the kind of first time that this German scientist named Johann Heinrich Schultze, he was a chemist actually, and he was working on chemistry and optics 
uh, and he was interested in the sensitivity of silver salts to light and came up with this idea to silver use... Silver salts. Yeah. So, so basically silver powdered. Yep. Um, so thought of using that in a camera obscura, which is kind of similar to the pinhole type of idea. Right. Um, and to see how light would affect silver. So I think that's super cool. And uh, it's early 1700s. But of course, there was actually no practical way to use this to take photos at that point. He was just interested in how light impacted the chemical when you're using a kind of a, a smaller uh, aperture to to put to kind of put the light on it. Uh, so it wasn't really until 1839 that two photographic processes were introduced. One called the daguerreotype, yep. which was invented by, surprise, surprise, a guy named Daguerre, um, <laughs> along with his assistant, who I always feel bad when the assistant doesn't get mentioned. His name is Nice for Napesa. I'm sure I got that wrong. But uh, he I was. Couldn't pronounce that word either. That name either. <laughs> he was Daguerre's assistant, uh, and they created this. Uh, these images on a, a silver-plated piece of copper, um, and that was called a daguerreotype. Uh, it was also known as a mirror with a memory, which I thought was a cool yeah, way to cool. look at it. Uh, but at the same time, there was a guy in England named William Henry Fox Talbot uh, who developed a process uh, that was kind of like a way to make a negative and a positive. So to take the negative on one medium and put it onto a piece of paper with a positive thing, which was called a callotype, and he used a the positive was on a salted paper print. I have no idea what any of that means, but I'm sure it's some sort of chemical process to do that. Uh, but the daguerreotype was much more popular because it didn't have a patent attached to it that wasn't, wasn't restricted except for in England. So daguerreotype kind of started to move forward faster than, uh, than the callotypes. Uh, so then I thought, wonder how, when did this come to Canada? If it was in 1839 in France and England, and surprisingly enough, it didn't take that long to get here. News reached Canada in spring 1839. Wow. So it was already getting over to Canada at that point. And don't forget, we're talking about 60, or sorry, 30 years before Confederation. So Canada's not even a country yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so news reaches Canada and a couple of newspapers in larger uh, larger areas of Canada. There's earlier photos that are taken. So interestingly enough, the earliest photo in that we think in Canada is a photo of Niagara Falls. Shocking. Really? Um, and, uh, That's cool. Yeah. And it was taken in, I want to say, 1840. Thought I wrote it down, but uh, the the first photo was uh, taken in 1840, and uh, basically it was like you were saying. It was like this tedious process of allowing the uh, uh, exposure for several hours to get it. And you can actually go online and look at these uh, this photo of Niagara Falls. That's this first uh, photo. It was uh, it's in the uh, University of Newcastle uh, collection. Um, oh, I know. Here it is. It was taken by a guy named Pattinson in 1840. Uh, he came up, he was a chemist and uh, an industrial chemist from England, and he came to Canada because he was going to set up a mine and uh, decided he was going to visit around the country while he was here, and he took this photo of Niagara Falls. He took several photos of I'm Niagara Falls. I'm looking at it right actually. now, yes. Yeah, it's pretty cool, eh? 
Yeah. And that was uh, 27 years before Confederation. That's pretty cool. But, of course, Niagara Falls is one of the most photographed it is, yeah. uh, places. But it's really interesting to see how the falls looks different yeah. then compared to now, especially considering, you know, there was no fencing or anything no. like that around it at that time. There's, a, there's actually, yeah, when you look at the picture, there's actually a person standing, like, at the bottom of the... Yeah, and they think that might be Pattinson in oh, the really? photo. Um, that's like one of the first selfies, maybe. <laughs> Hard to say. <laughs> they don't that's really a long know. Selfie stick. They think that if it isn't him, that he, that the person was added to the photo. Right. Kind of painted in. You know, you've seen some of those photos where they paint the color in afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, potentially, that was. They're not really sure. Um, but it's pretty cool. Like think about the fact that these photos were first invented in the in 1839, and by then, by 1840, they're already taking a picture of Niagara Falls. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, the one of the coolest things I came across was that um, to refer to photography as the art of sun painting, which is very similar to what huh. you said earlier about this idea of painting with light. Right. And uh, but photography was pretty difficult in up at that point, so it's not something that the general population is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a photo of Niagara Falls in 1840 is pretty unusual, uh, mostly because it took a long time to expose the photo. Bad weather could be problematic mm-hmm. because there's no flash, so you have to use whatever light you have, and right. uh, you want as much of it as possible. Temperature could affect the exposure process and sure. the chemicals that you're using, and the working conditions could sometimes be difficult, probably because you're using all kinds of crazy chemicals and stuff. But by 1850s, uh, these very specific types of photos became very popular in France, and they eventually came to Canada, and that was called a carte de visite. Have you ever seen these? You probably no. have, actually. Maybe basically, I just don't know what it's called, but yeah. Basically, it looks like a postcard of a person. Oh. So you, it's kind of like your business card. You give out pictures of yourself. Right. Um, when you went to visit people, if you were, these are all, of course, people who have money. And so you go to, uh, you know, um, rich woman in France at that time period goes to visit her rich friend across town who isn't in to, to, to get her visit. And so she leaves her cart to visit. Basically. See, or it didn't happen, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> So that became popular in 1859 when uh, this photographer named Desdoray photographed Napoleon III. And so, of course, the monarch takes on this uh, this particular fad, and then everybody else in France starts to take it on as well. And it became all the rage amongst uh, people who had money, but also the rising middle class. Mm. So you want to look like you were those people, right? Like the influencers of today, you want to look like the same... These, People in the in the uh, 19th century were the same. They wanted to look like influencers. Uh, yep. So there are tons of carte de visites out there. Um, there's They were very popular in St. Catharines. There's tons of them in our collection. Basically, if you were going to, you wanted to make sure you had a picture of yourself if you were going to leave and go off, you know, say if you were leaving the, the uh, province to go work in another province, you'd want all your friends to have a photo of you. Uh, before you left and so you'd go to the photographer take this photo and make it into a basically looks like a postcard and uh, hand it out to all your friends when you went to visit them before you left Uh, so they were very popular 
so I did go into a little bit about, I ended up in a little bit about this idea of wet versus dry exposure of the the film it's not really film it's on a glass plate for the most part at this point and one of the things that was the most difficult and why photography was hard to take off in the first place was because you have to paint on this chemical onto the glass plate and expose the glass plate to to light to get the photo before the chemical dries Mm. and you need to to uh, develop it before it dries as well And so this was a difficult process, but someone eventually developed a process that was a dry process. Right. Huh. So that was uh, in the 1870s. Uh, In 1888, George Eastman invented the hand camera. So people who are... Kodak, right? Exactly. So if you're of an age, like you... (laughs) Not that we're old by any way at all, but we definitely know the name Eastman Kodak. Yep. Um, And uh, this is where it comes from. And uh, the... Their company became an instant success. You could take 100 exposures with the camera on the film when you first got it. And in order to get the film developed, you had to send the camera and the film to the uh, company. And they would send you back the camera reloaded with film in it. I remember. So uh, I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. I don't remember them giving you back the camera reloaded with film, but I remember remember those... uh, Disposable cameras? Yes. Oh, my God. They were so popular in the 80s and right. 90s. Remember Polaroids? <laughs> yes. My, my daughter has a Polaroid now. Like, I, you know, why would you want to spend money to print it when you can it's hang true. on to everything digitally, right? It's true. So, so thanks what's, what's to Eastman and Kodak, photo clubs and photojournalism and all of those things became incredibly popular. Um, and uh, the first photos that were really... Uh, kind of in immersive uh, for journalists were photos of the First World War. Uh, so in the newspapers, they sent journalists uh, overseas to take photos at the front. That was kind of the first time that a real current event was able to be photographed regularly in, in its time and place as it was going on. Uh, and be out there for the masses to see. Uh, so then I got on a tangent. This is, I'm almost done. I got onto this little weird tangent about stereo views and stereo viewers. I'm sure you've seen these before. Uh, we'll put a picture of them in the, uh, the blog uh, post as well, but they're basically look like this thing with little glasses on one end. You stick your head in it, yeah. and on the other end, it has like a sliding uh, kind of little mechanism, and you put a, a photo that has two photos on it on the other end, on the sliding end, that focuses it. And the two views, are that's called the stereo view. Um, And it's two images that when you view them in the viewer, they look like they're three-dimensional. And so you probably would recognize the more modern version of that, which is a Viewmaster. I I was just going to (laughs) say, we have a couple at home. They're probably worth money now. We have a couple in the, or at least one in the collection here. (laughs) Do you have the... um... Do you have the images? Like, do you have the the the, the reels that go with them? Yeah, the round the yeah. round ones that the yeah. Viewmaster had. Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, but the Viewmaster is basically the modern version of the stereo viewer, which was incredibly popular. So people went out and bought all of these stereo views. You'd keep them in a box in your parlor or your living room, and when people came to visit, they would take some time and look at your stereo views. They were all different topics. Um, You could get ones that were um, 
tourist images from around the world, scenic places like mountains and things like that. Niagara Falls has tons of stereo so views. Cool. Um, and the cool thing about it is that it ends up looking 3D when you look at them. And I thought it was really interesting. There's a special camera that they use to take those pictures that has two lenses that are separated by the same distance of the hu human eye. Oh, really? They, it creates nearly identical images. So when you look at them just on the stereo card by itself, you can see they look almost exactly the same. But when you look at them in the stereo viewer, there's like um, a partition between your two eyes when you look through the stereo viewer so that each eye is looking at each image separately. And you're, when you do this, I don't know exactly how this works, but when you do this, <laughs> your eye creates this three-dimensional image. Your eyes create this three-dimensional image. So interesting. Yeah. I, I thought it was really... I wish I had more time to research how the, te the uh, physiology behind how stereo yeah. viewers work, yeah. but I, th I didn't have enough time. I ended up getting caught at the end with not <laughs> enough time. So this is where I came to the coolest fact that I found in the entire uh, research that I did. I mean, these were all really cool facts, but this was the best one. So the coolest fact I came up with, we talked about this Viewmaster being kind of the modern stereo viewer. Well, in 2010, Hasbro, the uh, kid's toy company, yep. actually designed a stereoscope that you could that would hold your iPhone, and it was called My3D. I don't know if you remember this or not, but you probably remember 2014's Google Cardboard. Remember these things? It was like a little box. Your phone sat at one end of it, and you looked in the eyepiece at the other side, Yeah. and it created like a virtual reality. I have one at home. Yes, and that is based on stereo view technology. Really? And they created apps they around did. that 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 were they would replace the the card part of it right because yep. you play the app on your phone yep. but the apps were designed to sense rotation so that you would have this virtual reality experience and so i would have never guessed that the stereo viewer this technology from the that victorian really cool. period evolved eventually to become this virtual reality technology. So that Google Cardboard is, most people don't have that anymore, don't use it anymore, but it eventually evolved into this this virtual reality world, which is, I think we're right at the very start of virtual reality and it's just gonna explode into this amazing thing eventually. Yeah. Um, but uh, it all comes from this technology that they were exploring in the 1800s. Well, I was watching TV on the weekend and I did see, um, it might've been a commercial or an infomercial, but um, it was uh, a group of older adults sitting in a room, and they all had virtual reality <laughs> <Yes>. VR glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, and they and you know they were doing things like they were obviously in this yeah. VR world, and they were loving it. Yeah. And they, you know, they couldn't get enough of it. It's pretty uh, cool if you've used VR uh, yeah. um, with, like, PlayStation has VR yep. games. And they're pretty, they're really weird, yeah, but they're cool. Yeah. So, anyway, Maybe. that was my cool fact of the day. And then the last uh, thing that I think people would be interesting to, interested to note is I wanted to know what the oldest photo in our collection was. Oh, yeah. And we're not actually completely sure because some of the older photos, most of them don't have dates on them. So we can only guess based on the technology. Uh, is we have a couple of ambrotypes, which are kind of similar to daguerreotypes. Uh, they're on a metal plate. 
um, that are from dated from mid 1800s, so 1850 to 1880s. Wow. Both of them are in the Merritt collection, so they were things from the Merritt family. Um, one is William Hamilton Merritt's wife, Catherine Merritt. There's a photo of her when she's. Uh, closer to the end of her life. She's quite elderly in the photo. And then there's a photo of a child uh, that we think is somewhere between 1850 and 1880. Um, it makes sense that the Merritts, who had more money than most people at the time, would have uh, um, a technology that is still not accessible to the general population. So it makes sense that those, those would be the oldest ones and that they would be in that particular collection. Right. So I thought that was pretty neat. This was an awesome topic. I thought so. I thought it was great. Thanks so much for joining me, Phil. I really appreciate it and uh, um, appreciate you putting in the time, uh, and I'm glad uh, that you enjoyed it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you again for asking me to do it. It was, uh, it was certainly the right topic for me. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks so much for coming down the rabbit hole with us. And a big thank you to Phil Christie for joining us on the podcast. Check out the footnotes to this episode on our blog at stcatherinesmuseumblog.com. Kathleen and I will be back with two more episodes over the next couple of weeks with some really interesting topics. Stuffed animals and teddy bears and printing. Make sure to subscribe to One Hour in the Past and the museum's other podcast, Museum Chat Live on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you don't miss those historical adventures down the rabbit hole. We're always looking for ideas to spend one hour in the past researching. If you have a topic you'd like us to tackle, connect with us at facebook.com slash St. Museum, or on Twitter and Instagram at STC Museum. We are so looking forward to chatting with you all again on our next episode of One Hour in the Past. One Hour in the Past is produced by us, Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie, and brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines.